0: Hello world, this is Better Tech, a podcast where we chat with some of the most successful leaders about the latest industry developments. So join us as we explore the world reliance on tech. Hello everyone, welcome to Better Tech. So today we have Deer Deer with us. Uh, I hope I have got your name right, but I'll call you like to start with just Deer so why don't you go ahead tell us uh, how to pronounce your name and a bit about yourself
1: yeah so i'm deirdre uh, i am co-founder and ceo of rightfoot Foot. Uh, we are a tech company on a mission to maximize wealth for underrepresented populations and we do so through first helping people get out of debt
0: oh that sounds really exciting So, I mean, you must be helping a lot of people to basically just pay their debts and be happy.
1: That's the goal. I mean, I'm someone who has a lot of debt. You know, went to business school, took out an incredible uh, amount of student debt. And it was at that moment where I realized, wow, this is a really large problem. And while I knew about it before, I think having having that debt taken on uh, personally is what gave me a lot of empathy for it and helped me just kind of dig into it alongside my co-founders and we just realize that we think it's the largest crisis facing our generation and where the you know the future of fintech and of technology in general will be focused on helping those end users
0: so then you must be working a lot on getting your debt clear as a start right i believe
1: it's it's a journey i mean it's something where I think there we will talk about it later. I do think there's an aspect of good debt and bad debt and the types of debt that are that are lower interest rates. And you want to be able to take down anything that has that high interest rate um, would typically classify as the uh, bad debt. But then for some of the for some of the student debt rates that had been coming around lately, maybe it is okay to like keep some of those and then pay down some of those more harmful debts. So it's all about, even as I'm going through and building this company, it's it's about learning how are the ways that you can structure your own financial wealth uh, and get onto a place where you feel really confident and sure of your future.
0: Yeah, thank you very much for the context. So, Deirdre, I was going through your LinkedIn profile and figured that, I mean, you had like a really nice career. I mean, you started at Harvard, then you worked at Nestle, you went into Stanford, then Pepsi, and then your own startup. So can you walk us through your journey, like how you ended up in Harvard? Then, I mean, what was your first job after that? I mean, it was Stanford or you did uh, work at Pepsi. I mean, how was the turn of the events and how did you like it?
1: Yeah, so yeah, I was very fortunate to go to, you know, Harvard undergrad and and loved it there. And afterwards went to uh PepsiCo where I was working in New York um, across marketing and, and strategy and but largely starting around creating new products there. And while I I love uh my teammates, I think Pepsi is an incredible brand, incredible company. Um, it wasn't necessarily a, a product that spoke to me personally. And what and so I used it as an opportunity to learn an incredible amount. But then when I decided to go back to business school, uh, I was very intentional on on choosing Stanford because of the type of people that I saw go there and the type of intentionality of, hey, I really want to make a positive impact on this world. And I want to be a leader that I feel makes the people around me better and lifts up the people around me. And I saw a lot of the leaders that I wanted to be like uh, were Stanford MBA grads. So I decided Mm -hmm. to go back and kind of with the idea of let's figure out what's next. Everyone, you know, a lot of people have this story of having a lot of intentionality, Well, what I can tell anyone who is maybe considering any type of, you know, second degree was specifically around business school is you don't know. You go there for just what I like to say is curated spontaneity. I just wanted to put myself in the center of all the things that possibly could happen. And I was very lucky to meet, uh, my co-founder, Danny, pretty much day one. And she it was one of those classic tales where she pulled me into a beanbag room and brought out the business plan and was like, we're going to start a company together and here's why and here's what we're going to do. And we met our, our third co-founder, uh, Will, about a year after that. And the thing that was consistent between all three of us was this this mission of wanting to maximize wealth for underrepresented populations and thinking there's a lot of ways to do this how do we do this and so through learning a lot of testing a lot of iterating a lot of kind of you know lean lean startup mentality we got to a place where we realized that we could actually be the infrastructure that powers all consumer debt payments so that we can help people get out of debt faster and help drive value for the fintechs that we serve so that they're having a A fuller financial view of their end users and being able to help their users get out of debt, which ultimately drives trust uh, and long-term relationship with their users.
0: So within your journey, do you think like your experience of working at large corporations or maybe other companies uh, helped you? Or do you think that if you, I mean, your decisions were like more rational, more mature as compared to if you would have started this company right after um, Howard, maybe.
1: I think there is having prior experience, regardless of whether it is uh, something you want to replicate or not, I find incredibly helpful just to see, hey, this is how I I was creating billion dollar products and I was able to see like this is what the process looks like to be creating global billion dollar new to the world products. And knowing that that's kind of the scale that we will hit one day, it was then interesting to see that and then relearn it from a startup perspective. I think the thing about a startup, anyone else who is a founder knows, regardless of whatever knowledge you come in with, you're building the plane while you're flying it. And you are, learning. I mean, it's something where every day you're confronted with something new that you didn't know you even had to do. No, yesterday, and so then you show up, and it's a that's one of the most exciting parts is you're constantly growing and challenging yourself, but it also means there's not really any level of preparedness for uh a, a founding a company that you can have aside from a really strong support network of friends and loved ones, uh, and a, a lot of grit and kind of a, a greater purpose that really drives you.
0: So, I mean you have worked i believe at both places maybe you have worked on the east coast side and then you ended up in stanford on the west coast side so how would you define like the culture difference between the two coasts maybe like uh, valley was like more tech focused or something or east side was like more towards financial stuff or i mean how would you differentiate the two
1: We So we've now are now at right foot. We actually have an office both in San Francisco and New York. So I think there's a lot of value in in being across both coasts. Obviously, there is a larger startup energy mentality in San Francisco. I don't I'm not sure I would have started a company had I stayed in New York. It's just a different type of uh, environment where it would have. Whereas in San Francisco, you have a lot of resources and community. I mean, in my Stanford class alone, we had Close to 30 women that were starting startups in our class, which is pretty incredible given not just, and that's not, you know, probably had 50 or 60 total founders in our class, but having nearly half of those be be women was incredible and and I'm not sure that I would still have had the grit to go through it all had I not had such a robust support network in our early days. Um, I think there's also within, you know, my role is within FinTech. There's been a huge growing presence of FinTech in New York which is really exciting to see. It's a lot of the legacy banks are there but now there's a lot of FinTech that's growing up around it. And so now being able to be in both places and getting the incredible talent that is in both uh, we think has been a huge asset.
0: So your current startup, Right Foot. I mean, what it is about?
1: So right Foot. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm more than happy to dive into any details. But Right Foot is the financial infrastructure for paying off debt. So what we, when we maybe brief history of how this came about, is that we were originally founded to create a uh, direct to consumer debt payment company, or sorry, direct to consumer debt management platform. We're like, okay, we're going to help users get out of debt. And then we went to go actually make the payments and we realized, you know, we went to, we went to Stripe and we're like, hey Stripe, we're ready to embed your debt repayment APIs, let us know where to sign. And they're like, that does not exist. That sounds like a nightmare. You're having to integrate with all these, you know, disaggregated, Antiquated systems on the lender side were focused more on the asset side, so checking and savings account. Um, sending out to all these different lenders is not something that we support. And we started going through all of these different, you know, payments companies, BAS platforms, and it was the same rhetoric over and over again. No, 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 that's way too complicated. Sounds like a nightmare. We don't want to do that. And so we took a step back and we said, well what if we provided that you know our our background my one of my co-founders is uh has the background in api banking technology and the other one is in infrastructure for 10 years it's our backgrounds are very well suited to build the infrastructure that is powering every financial app anytime they're making a payment towards debt so we went through and we integrated with loan servicers directly to be able to automate those payments so that now we have cust- we have companies anywhere from Startups to one of the top three brokerage firms in the US uh, that are using our technology. And they are able to provide debt solutions in their platform, anything from roundups to student debt or employer benefits that pay back student debt or just simple management of your monthly expenses and being able to manage paying down that credit card debt or that student debt or the auto loan from within your financial platform. And anytime that that user wants to make a payment to any of their consumer debt, that's where right foot takes over. We move the money on the financial platform's behalf. It looks like it's our, our customer's experience the whole time through, or just the rails underneath that are moving that money around. And then we obviously charge our customers for us being able to transfer those funds on their behalf.
0: All right. So business model really is that against these services, you basically charge your customers, right? So it's, a, it's more of a subscription or you charge per transaction. What's the business model? Uh, in some yeah. way.
1: Yeah, we're SaaS plus, plus transaction fees. Um, so, charging them for using the platform and as well for moving that money. Um, and maybe also giving context to why we decided, yes, it was a problem for us, but why did we decide that this was a problem that anyone else felt? Uh, when we look at the state of the world in five years, I vehemently believe that it will look very different than how it is today. Let me walk you through what it looks like today. So, if people have, on average, people have, you know, anywhere from five to seven different cards or debt types. They have, you know, credit cards, auto loans, maybe a buy now pay, pay later loan, a personal loan, a mortgage. And the way you manage this, if you're not on auto pay, which majority of Americans are not because they're worried about overdraft, if you're not on auto pay each month, a user has to log into their checking account and they see $300 in their account. They have to go to seven different websites to then make each of those monthly payments to try to be calculating it all you know, on a piece of paper while they're doing it to make sure that they're not making more payments than money they have. And there's no place where they can just see, this is how much I have in my account and this is how much I need, I owe every month. That is an absurd state of the world, especially in 2022. Why is it so difficult to be able to just know how much money you have and how much money you owe and manage all of those payments in a really seamless place? So when we look at the world in five years, I guarantee you that it will be, a. users will have one application that they log into and it'll say, you have $300 in your account and you owe $270 this month. Let's help you make those payments. Or maybe even you have $300 in your account, you actually owe $500 this month. So we're going to tell you what's the best debt to pay off first. We're going to help you optimize to get out of debt faster, avoid fees, and actually decrease that total debt amount in time over time. So when we're talking to the you know financial institutions that we work with and those that we're continuing to talk about a partnership with, what we are all in agreement with is this is the end state and the financial institutions that want to win consumer trust and want to win those consumers for a lifetime will need to move fast to be able to provide that to users so that they can then have this peace of mind. And again, this full financial control over their lives.
0: Sure. So consumer debt, certainly you can say it can give birth to crisis for sure. So, I mean, in your uh, experience working with consumers directly, what do you think like some of the main driving factors are by listening to the stories which ultimately results in financial insecurity?
1: Yeah, it is. It makes me angry. <laughs> it makes me um, I mean, it's just sad to see kind of the state of the world that we're in today. So to give you context, we've got $15 trillion worth of consumer debt in the U.S. To put this into perspective, I mean, that is a monumental number. That's two thirds of U.S. GDP. But to put this into perspective, in at the height of the 08 crisis, we had $13 trillion of debt. So we've got 125% of what we had at the worst financial crisis that we've seen. And the uh, some of these main drivers are one let's look at inflation you know we all feel this the number of dollars that are going out of our pocket now for food and gas and rent and it's now leading to a place where u.s consumer savings are at an at the lowest point since 08 so if you don't have any type of savings and of course if a medical exp- medical expense comes up, which is an overarching theme that we don't have time to get into here of like, you know, the medical system in the US and the incredible amount of debt that that puts people into. And you have one event that then sends you kind of down this rabbit hole of then not having access to fair credit because of your credit score, and it just getting worse and worse for borrowers. Um, Right now, we're seeing that uh, over half of Americans are carrying a balance on their credit card. And when you're already in that situation you're then accruing that interest is compounding daily you're getting interest rates that you wouldn't be paying on a normal loan but you just get stuck in a situation where then all of a sudden you're paying 20-25 percent interest that's a debt trap that you then is very hard to get out of so a lot of these macroeconomic trends that are going on are just putting consumers in a place where they're turning to debt and while i very much believe that there is good debt and that debt can be one of the most powerful drivers of wealth in, in the world and is how a lot of some of the, you know, some of the most highest levels of wealth are created through debt. Mm, yeah, It has to be healthy debt that you have access to and that you have control over. And that is not the reality for the majority of Americans today.
0: So in the beginning, you touched on the topic and you just mentioned about that as well, the good debt, bad debt, heavy debt, light debt. I mean, there are like, various types of debts and it's like all over the place. So in your experience, um, how would you classify it? I mean, what debt you would call a good debt or what you would call a bad debt or a heavy debt, light debt, I mean, just, uh, I mean, a few points on that.
1: Yeah, and I think there's even another layer uh, of what are the debts that are important to the individual. So right. some, so things such as when we so when we work with our partners, um, we work with them to say, what are the goals of your end users in terms of their debt? And how can Right Foot solution be able to provide you with that uh you know, with that product, that out-of-the-box solution to be able to help your users accomplish their goals? Examples could be. I just want to decrease total debt, just just the total number that I have. And this, then in that instance, how we kind of look at this good debt, bad debt is let's just look at interest rate. Let's pay off your highest interest rate first and help you decrease that total amount of interest that you're paid. Other people may say, hey, actually, it's really important for me that I own my house and that I pay off this mortgage faster. And then that's really where I want to focus. And also like with that and auto loan, I need my house. I need my car. So regardless of whether that's it may be the lowest interest rate and oftentimes it is because those are based on when you have uh types of debt that do not have an asset behind it then the interest rate will be higher because there's nothing that lenders would be able to claim if you if you defaulted. So while mortgage and auto loan may be lower interest rate for many users that's where they want to prioritize so they can keep mm-hmm. their house and keep their car. But when we think about kind of this overarching long-term where do we want to get people to go to from today's debt crisis to me where they could be in the future is getting rid of debts that are not an investment such as you know credit cards payday loans personal loans that are really high interest rates and that are something that can get you into this spiral of the more that you use it the you know more you use a credit card the it compounds daily and it compounds in a way that makes it very hard to get out of that debt Good Mm -hmm. debts, like being able to invest in a house, you pay that down, you then have more wealth. You have an asset under it that you own that is an investment for you. And so Mm -hmm. being able to, I think if I look at the state of the world, if in, you know, 50 years, in 10 years, like right foot is the success that we wanted it to be. How does the world look different? It's that more Americans are then investing. Those debt payments are going towards an investment asset that will accrue wealth for them long-term and they are feeling as though they are excited and proud of the money that they are spending on debt rather than feeling like they're drowning and it is their only option to get food on the table every week.
0: Sure, yeah, that helps. Now, I mean, everyone these days in the news, in drawing rooms or in bars, everywhere, I mean, people are talking about recession. Some say it has arrived. Some say it's the tip of the iceberg and the bad things have to come. Some say it is over already. So, I mean, everyone has their own opinion about recession. So what are you seeing in the debt industry in general or in the financial industry uh, to be more specific? I mean, do you think that we are going to hit recession? Do you think we are already there? Do you think it's over? How would you explain it?
1: Yeah, well, humans are innately awful at prediction, so I'm not going to pretend to be any better than the next person. However, what I'll say in terms of what we're seeing on the debt side, on the liability side, is this is a, this is a scary inflection point. This is again having historic highs on consumer debt levels, having his you know historic lows on consumer savings amount. That is a recipe for a very scary situation for a vast majority of Americans. Uh, and when we look at, you know, January 1, student debt payments are starting again after being paused for two years. When the average American doesn't have $400 in case of a crisis and you're going to expect them to start paying a $360 average monthly payment, that it when you've gotten used to not paying that over two years, That is a very, that's a very scary situation to be in. And even with the historic forgiveness that happened and the incredible impact of that, just to show you how much student debt is in the US, you know, this is the largest scale debt forgiveness within student debt that we have seen. And there are Mm -hmm. still over a trillion dollars of student debt left. That's that's how big the problem is, is that even with all this spending, it's still you have so many, you know, 40 million Americans that are still going to be struggling with this each month. And so when we look at the continuing rise of inflation and the stagnant incomes, like income is not rising with the rate of inflation, which means I believe the situation is going to get much worse before it gets better. And especially unless we have you know a systematic change to how we think about debt and how we manage finances ourselves, but really for the users that we serve, I don't think the situation is going to get better anytime soon.
0: So coming back to right foot, I mean, how do you think you are different from other financial institutions or banks or others who help people clear their debts or maybe help them to get out of a shady situation. So where you differentiate from them?
1: Yeah, so RightFoot's foot, right in the background. We are an API company um, we, where we're making the money move, but we don't have a direct relationship with the end user. So when you talk about how are we different from banks or other financial institutions, we partner with them. So they want they say, hey, we really want to help you know young users in particular to be able to help them manage and get out of their debt and really just to have this full financial wellness picture. And they think, well, how can I do this? And they talk to their users and most users say debt is my number one problem. I am drowning in debt. So when they come to us and they say, our core competency as a bank is you know, having a checking account, having a savings account, maybe we're an investment firm, but we want to be able to expand into debt products. We don't know where to start and we don't necessarily want to build out all of these integrations in this technology ourselves. They then come to us and we are a seamless layer into their financial stack. We make their overall product stronger and more viable for their users. Um, when we look at how do we differ from alternatives in the market that are doing similar type technology to us. Uh, You know, the the default solution before we came in was paper checks and bill pay, which are just an awful user experience, a black box. It's really low fidelity. Um, And then there's been a couple of customers that have come up that that rely more on screen scraping, which means a user gives a permission for that company to log into their account on their behalf to make a payment. The issue here is with that technology, if that connection ever breaks, which does on a frequent basis, and with the rise of two-factor authentication, users need to be present up to 60% of the time that that company takes an action on the user's behalf, which means up to 60% of the time, if the user isn't on their phone, sees the notification to approve that connection and approve that transaction to go through, the payment stops, which means if a user is trusting their bank or trusting their financial institution to make that monthly payment to be able to help them get out of debt and they don't approve it then it's just the payment's going to stop like that's that's a breach of trust that financial institutions are not willing to take the risk on because we have these integrated these direct integrations with these lenders we're able to commit to consistent reliable on time payments time and time again, which is why we're the leading enterprise solution in the market.
0: Sure, so as you said, I mean, you're more of an API company. So what's on your roadmap? Like you must have integrated with various institutions as you have said, but on your roadmap, are you like planning to maybe pivot into a different direction or maybe you want to do more integrations or maybe have your own sort of a consumer app in the space? What's next?
1: So we're, we love being on the background. We love being the API. So that's something that we will continue to build out, in part because when we look at the impact that we could have, having a direct-to-consumer app, yes, you could, you could have millions of users interacting with you, but there is a limit. Whereas if we are in every financial application, in every bank in the US and eventually in the world, that just expands the level of the number of touch points and the level of impact that we can have um, on companies and on the industry as a whole. Uh, When we look to where we headed next, uh, as I mentioned before, we're on the brink of a, a financial health crisis, and we're working with our financial institutions to help decrease defaults, to help users get control today, and to be able to pay less in fees, less in interest to be able to get to a healthier place. So we'll be rolling out a number of features in the next uh, you know, three to six months that are layered on top of our existing uh, payment rails, so that we can we can work together with these financial institutions to change the outcome for a lot of these users over the next few years.
0: That's awesome, and good luck with that. So, um, and in the end, I mean, what sort of message would you like to give to the audience? Maybe I mean that is something to worry about, or I mean this too shall pass.
1: Yeah. A couple things and I'll first put a plug-in for we are always hiring, so please check out Right Foot. Um and also if there are any uh if there are any founders out there that are thinking about starting a company that you're passionate about idea, I would say give it a try. And especially for the female founders that are listening out there or the or the or the women out there that are thinking they could be a female founder, yeah, it's super hard. There's not a lot of us. Um, But I would very much say, go for it. It's incredibly rewarding. It's incredibly hard, but you learn a lot and it gives you a big opportunity to make a profound impact on the world. Um, I think with the debt crisis we have today, the more people we have working on it, the better. I think that it's something that, impacts especially marginalized communities and underrepresented communities far more than it does others. Um, And that's something that really drives me on seeing if we could make a better world where there's less of that wealth gap and less of these biases and racism and sexism that are holding certain communities back, uh, that's a great place to be. So it's not going anywhere soon, but I'm very hopeful about the number of smart, dedicated people that that are working on this cause together.
0: Sure. So Deirdre, thank you very much for your time today. And I hope that we have you like in the coming days with another exciting topic and pick your brains on something else. So thank you very much
1: again. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to Better Tech. We look forward to bringing you the latest industry news in our next episode. In the meantime, Check out our other episodes at Texel.com slash podcast and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you never miss an episode.